Holly G with the Golf Insiders. She's one of our favorites. LPGA Teaching Hall of Famer. She is a Golf Digest Top 50 Teacher in America and an LPGA National Teacher of the Year and a PGA of America member. One of the best. I mean, that is elite, elite company. And we've got so much to break down and what we learned from watching the best players in the world navigate winged foot for the 120th U.S. Open. Bryson DeChambeau did an amazing job, came out the winner. And Kay McMahon's going to break down some of the things that uh, we should take away from this U.S. Open Championship. Hello, Kay. Good morning, Holly G. It's a pleasure to be with you. <laughs> and it was quite the U.S. Open. Uh, lots of talk going on. Lots of things to talk about. Well, uh, Wingfoot, as we know, a great buildup to this great golf course, uh, iconic golf course. And uh, it certainly bared its teeth <laughs> and gave these guys a very difficult test. And, um, you know, one of the things that was, uh, was definitely on display was navigating these very, very tricky putting greens. One of uh, the guys from the uh, Golf Channel last week, I think, described them like a skateboard park. And I wanted to talk a little bit about lag putting today because we saw the pros doing a lot of that and really making sure they didn't get themselves on the wrong side of the hole during the championship last week. Well, you're absolutely right. Something that you really can't see on TV is, well, they did talk about how big the greens are. They're huge. But the, the, um, the skateboarding thing is, is really a great analogy in the fact that there's so undulating and there were so many um, ups and downs that you really can't see that on TV. But the, the big point of conversation that they all had to worry about was lag putting. And many amateurs don't understand lag putting, and me meaning that you want to get it as close to, to the hole as you can. And so um, they, they want to always make every putt. But you really, people come to me and they say, well, I have trouble with my second putt. And I go, it's not your second putt. It's your first putt is not close enough. Um, so that's what these guys were really working working on was really the speed, but there was so much directional stuff that had to happen. Um, yeah, I you saw these guys, some of them, you know, literally lining up at, uh, you know, right angles and, you know, playing their long putts off the, I think the part that seemed like a skateboard, uh, you know, rink is the fact that they were using the backs of the greens to, you know, bring it back to the hole. It was it was not only entertaining, but extremely difficult. Well, you're right. Some of the people, I mean, you saw a few of the putts, and they were actually at almost 90-degree angles to where the ball was going to end up. So it was amazing. I think one of the fun things was they showed uh, Rory having a putt of, I think it was 84 feet, something like that. And he rolls it up to within maybe 12, 15 feet. If it had rolled maybe one more revolution, it might have stopped rolling, but it rolled backwards, and so his second putt was then 69 feet. So it was it was quite the entertainment. Um, it wasn't as bad as some of the previous U.S. Opens when there really wasn't much grass on it, but lag putting or their speed control was very much in effect, and I think for the 
average um, amateur golfer, um, they really have to start focusing on distance. Sometimes we get too tied up in, in talking about the direction, and you really have to understand that it's all all about speed and making centeredness of contact, um, which will give you more consistency in your putting. But it was very fascinating to watch, and we can then go into the U.S. Open rough, also talking about that and um, some very interesting shots. You talk about U.S. Open rough, you couldn't see their shoes, much less sometimes their socks. It was so deep. Yeah, the the rough, uh, you know, literally four to six inches uh, in certain places. And, um, you know, I know you get a lot of questions about this. And one of the keys is, uh, of course, you know, the rough is different in different parts of the country. It's different down in here in Florida compared to up in New York, the thickness of the blades of grass, you know, what direction the grass is growing. And we really got to see these guys have to play a lot of tough shots because you know what? No fans and the fans trampled down a lot of the rough in normal tournaments. So, uh, you know, they were they were in the hot seat a lot of the time. Oh, you're absolutely right. And you're ta- when you start talking about the different blades of grass um, down, you know, in Florida, they you get that kind of thick kakui grass with the blade of the grass, and it really kind of grabs the club even more. Um, and up here, it's still it's still thick, and it was very long up in New York. Um, but they ha- they always talked about the lie of the golf ball was it was it sitting down. But when they talk about the lie of the golf ball, they're also talking about the direction that the grass is growing. Sometimes they had to hit into the direction and sometimes they were with it. So it had a lot then to do with how much run they were going to get or how, if the, if the grass was growing towards them, they had to be even more aggressive. And the, the club actually, in a few people, I think even Tiger had a little problem and he, he chunked it once and had to hit it again. Um, so the, the, the rough was definitely um, a major factor, but, they also talk about, or didn't, it's hard to see what they have as for um, what they do with it, but opening the club face up, even with your sand wedge or your 60 degree wedge, will really help the average golfer get out of the deep rough. I get a lot of questions about deep rough because people don't like to get in it, um, but, but they usually have a square club face or even a closed club face, and you'll never get out. So you really have to open it up because you never want the toe of the club to ever pass the heel because then you're going to stub it. Um, the typical thing people say, well, I lifted my head. And I'm like, no, that really had nothing to do with it. It really has to do with the toe of the club passing the heel. So they had some interesting shots. What about club Definitely. selection? Uh, you know, certainly one of the advantages Bryson had was just, you know, pure power, right? And he stuck to that game plan. You know, as we know, this has been discussed ad nauseum since the uh, since the end of the tournament on Sunday about, you know, Bryson sticking to that, you know, bomb it and then, you know, literally gouge it out of the rough strategy. Uh, but, you know, s- players were having to choose all kinds of clubs and, you know, figure out even from a, um, you know, a, a, you know, pitching versus chipping and, you know, what, what club do you use and, you know, do you need extra club, you know, when you're coming out of the rough? Sometimes you get what they call a flyer. Can you break some of that down? Well, we got, this could be a whole another hour conversation, but yes, um, the rough will create flyer lies. 
meaning that the blade, the, the grass gets between the club blade and the ball, and so you really don't have a lot of control over it. I mean, what they say is that the fly will lie. It really means that um, it, it's going to uh, uh, fly in, in the, the direction you don't really know where it's going to go. Um, they did have a lot of different club selection, and I, I when, during our webinars we emphasize this a lot, is that the average player just is so worried about hitting the ball, but you really want to have a plan of how you want the shot to be executed, meaning they always pick a landing spot, and then they always try to figure out how much run is going to happen because the ball will always run coming out of rough. People think the people, they back it up all the time. They don't back it up. It's always going to run. But I can't emphasize enough the fact that you want to try to have a plan, meaning where do you want to land it, how much run do you want to have, because then it dictates what club selection you're going to have, and then it dictates how big a swing you're going to take. Um, so the, the plan really helps. Now, you may not always execute it correctly, but at least you have a plan, and then that way you're starting to gain from your own experience of, well, I had a plan, I maybe didn't have the right plan, and I executed it, or I didn't execute it correctly. So, but you're going to gain an experience from at least having a plan, and that's what they do. We've we've talked about this as well. That I think amateurs will pull, you know, pull the club that they think is going to be, you know, their their most heroic shot of the day. Um, you know, that's their kind of planning. Uh, which, you know, is a recipe for disaster and, uh, you know, a double or a triple. Even if it's a matter of knocking it out to give yourself, you know, the next best opportunity, wouldn't that be your coaching in those situations? Oh, you're absolutely right in that. Um, I do a lot of that when we do playing lessons or even just talking about strategy is what the pros really are trying to do is if they get in trouble – the most they want to have is a bogey. They really don't want to have the double or the triple because you, then you need two or three birdies to get gain those strokes back. So sometimes you have to, I, I refer to it as buying stocks, sometimes you just have to cut your losses um, before it gets even worse. So the strategy is to, to hit it out. And you saw that a, a few times um, that they actually did that. They got in major trouble and knocked it back into the fairway and got it up in the green. And I think as you and I have talked about, it was kind of interesting uh, about laying up on the par three. I think you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the, the um, par three third hole at Wingfoot, uh, famously known for B Billy Casper winning in the 1959 U.S. Open, where he laid up at, at the third hole all four rounds and won the event. Um, you know, they, I think they call them half pars, Kay, when they're holes, they kind of blur the lines from traditional scoring. Well, I think you're right. I've never heard that of half pars, but it was very true because he was kind of, the, the, the distance for him was in between the two clubs that he had that he was going to choose. Where he did not want to be was long. And when you're choosing clubs, I always tell people, figure out where, the, where you don't want to be and then pick the club that might might avoid that so he didn't want to be long so he always laid up uh, especially when the pin placement was in the front and so then he could chip up he never wanted to be beyond the hole because he knew that was going to turn into 
probably a double or even could have been a triple because it just would have, he probably would have chipped it back and it ended up right where that first shot would have been. So he actually laid up on that and then played to to his strengths. And I think that's a good lesson for the amateur golfer to, to realize is figure out where you don't want to be and figure out where your best advantage point for your strengths of your game would be. I thought this was a very interesting uh, quote from Webb Simpson. He said, we're going to have yardages where we're in between clubs and we're always going to hit the shorter club just to be short. He said, I hit a shot today. I couldn't quite get my three iron hybrid there, but I still didn't want to hit a five wood long. So I hit it and I was five yards short of the green, which was perfect. Uh, I'm not going to purposely lay up, but I will purposely try to hit it short of the hole to the front pins. Right, because your front pins, um, lots of times the amateur golfer, I used to say this on ladies' days all the time, is that they put the pins way in the front, thinking that it was shortening the course for them. But it actually makes the golf hole harder because you never, very, very seldom do you want to be beyond the pin because you're putting back downhill where it's just going to roll too much. So uh, his, his quote was absolutely right on. Again, figuring out where you don't want to be. And um, the front pin placements sometimes on most golf courses are your most difficult. So you're sometimes better off being short and then chipping up. Um, so I would definitely go with what he said. That was I, I think they were all doing the same thing because you found when they were over the greens, they were in serious trouble. Well, uh, a number of great topics here for our listeners to think about and learn from. Uh, Kay, I know you've got some webinars coming up. How uh, can my listeners uh, find out more about your uh, programs? Uh, They can go to our website is educationgolf.com, but that's spelled E-D-U-K-A-Y-T-I-O-N golf.com. And our webinars, you can take them from all over the country, and we guarantee you success. And um, they have proven very, very successful (laughs) for a lot of people. Yeah, I've participated in several and uh, have learned a tremendous amount. And during, um, you know, our continuing... Uh, challenges with COVID, it's it's a great way to keep your game sharp and uh, then, you know, go out and enjoy a, a good round of golf. Kay, as always, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Holly, and keep your head up.